I was being laughed at. Look, I was only, I, th I think I was only around about seven years old. But for the very, very first time, I think I felt um, the cold and icy winds of being mocked and shamed. Um, the situation was that I was in my school assembly and I thought, I thought our, our class had won a prize for some art project. And little Barry, he got up from sitting on the floor and started to walk to the front. But within seconds, I realised that I was the only one of my class standing and moving. <laughs> oh, no. And so, slinking back to the floor, I felt that every eye on the room was on me. And I felt extremely alone and stupid. And kids were laughing and making sport of me. And I felt what I recognise now as um, the word shame. And this was the first time I remember being um, exposed to the humiliation of getting it wrong. Look, I went on to have um, other moments of shame. And it's a bit like, you know, in a bumper boat and you're being shoved from one intrusive experience to the other. And our, our little life gets bumped and bruised along a passage of painful moments. And it's sort of, so those moments seem to sort of, um, you know, knock us in a direction. And um, also good moments, but often our, our hurting moments will push us this way and the other way. Um, shame can be defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or stress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Now that sounds extremely technical, doesn't it? <laughs> but shame is very much an emotion. And to, to know shame is to know a deep hole um, that you can fall into and it's like it's bottomless. And you can fall into it and just keep on spiraling down. It's like it's a cold shadow of being completely alone, um, exposed, unloved, and feeling very foolish. I wonder, do you remember your first moment of shame? That, that moment when your flaws and failings were exposed. You were seen and not known in any grace. It might have come from someone else, that painful exposure, that mocking. But... Even deeper and more lasting are the shame messages that we actually send to ourselves. There is, there is something in yourself that you loathe. Um, a self-hatred festers and it poisons your life. I've got this word and it's called comparatonitis. <laughs> it's a deadly disease. Um, comparatonitis to perfection. You, you define yourself against the perfect. And there's no perfect, right? You're never going to get it right. Um, and you start to believe that you're the only one in this shame world. Um, everyone else has got it right, perfectly right. And we stay in our personal shame hole because we may well be shamed even more in the very instance of exposing our failures. So we either um, hide, hide our our shame or we hit out you know and in any exposure of flaws we either hide away or we hit back and retaliate 
And I've got to ask you, what's what's your defence strategy? How do you handle shaming moments? Well, I believe that we have a God that actually enters into our shame. Um, there was a couple, they got it wrong, and they knew it. They had stolen fruit from the orchard and discovered for themselves that it was actually poisoned. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember my father one day on the farm coming home and um, telling the story of how he had been to an area of our farm where some beautiful plum trees uh, were growing and uh, by this lovely stream and the trees were absolutely ripe with plums, red, big red plums. And so he was looking for a few plums to chew on on a hot summer's day and he looked up into the tree and to his surprise there was two little boys high up in the tree and he called them, called out to them and said, what are you doing up there? And they responded, we're looking for Mr. McPherson's pigs. <laughs> and he said, well, you won't find them up there, he told them. And, you know, as a family, we, we, we laughed heartily at um, their, their quick-witted response. You know, we're looking for Mr. McPherson's pigs. We had a neighbour called Mr. McPherson and he had some pigs. But these two little boys say, we're looking for Mr. McPherson's pigs. But actually, they were really getting plums. And they had been exposed for breaking the rules. They were stealing fruit, not looking for pigs. And in the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we find another couple of plum stealers, um, Adam and Eve, and they ate the fruit that was out of bounds. They had got it wrong, badly wrong. And that the choices they made were human in experience. Um, and now they experience the fullness of of exposure they've been seen uh, guilt and uh, shame for getting it wrong um, washed into them but the dancing trinity or, or god didn't shy away from their exposure instead um, i really love these words they entered into it and uh, clothed adam and eve and clothed their exposure with a sacrifice of something of their own creation and the Bible says that the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them so here's God having to kill an animal to actually cover us um, so it's quite a profound uh, thought there and then we see um, Christ entering our shame so here's a little, little story this is from Fred and a conversation between Fred and Jenny. Fred says, he's coming to dinner. Jenny, our place, our messy kitchen. He's going to see our dirty oven and the dust on the mantelpiece. Now, you probably know the situation because you're like, people are coming and you've got to clean up. Well, that's what happens in our house. <laughs> and then Fred says, oh, yes. And he also wants to eat with people like us. Uh, the prostitutes, the gamblers, the tax collectors, the adulterers the loan sharks, the addicts, and all the crazies. All the people that have been shunned and looked down upon. And Jenny says, that's a big party. And then Fred says, he also said not to make a fuss and do anything special. He wants to simply be with us, enter our world, and wash our feet. That's quite profound, wouldn't it be, if, if we knew Jesus was like, coming to our place for dinner and wanting to meet our 
friends full of shame. And it, there's a story in the Bible where, where I'll read it out to you. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. All right. And when the teachers of the law who saw that the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, the shamed ones, the ones on the outside, the, 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 the ones that are really bad, you know? you know. Look at us, we're all good. But no, those ones, yeah, we shame them. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not call, come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So, so here is Christ who enters the world of the shamed. Not to cast judgment and punishment, but to offer um, presence to loneliness. They, they have been, people have been shamed um, by the rocks thrown them at them. You know. Now, someone without shame was entering their world. I want to eat with you. I want to sit with you. I want to talk. What, whatever you're carrying inside you, that's that's fine with me. For the first time, they were being known, discovered, explored, and touched. And Jesus was on a deliberate act. It was a deliberate act of him to be intrusive, intrusive love <laughs> into the world, into their world. You know, Jesus once had a, a conversation with a woman who carried a, a huge shame load. And at the end of the conversation, her response was joy. It was like a, a liberation that led her to tell a whole community that, that she'd met someone who knew everything about her, but wasn't turned away. And in her, her new freedom, she invited her whole community to come and experience this newness. And she said, come, see a man who told me everything I did. Like, Jesus knew every shame thing that she'd ever experienced. Didn't turn her off. It may not take it away completely. But having someone safe into your shame place and not be turned away is a most special gift. To be loved and affirmed deeply, even when the shame is known, is a starting point for deep healing. It's the acknowledgement that we, we have all got it wrong somewhere along the journey. And that the invitation is to be connected at the level of our human exposure. So we, we take um, careful yet deliberate steps to diffuse the power of shame in each other. In each other. I'm going to read that again. We take careful yet deliberate steps to defuse the power of shame in each other. We make uh, sacrifices of ourselves so that others don't feel naked and exposed. Stories are told. Bread is shared. And common flawed humanity is discovered. Um, you too. I love the you band you too. And this is a couple of verses from one of their songs. You got a face not spoiled by beauty. I have some scars from where I've been. 
You've got eyes that can see right through me. You're not afraid of anything they've seen. I was told that I could feel nothing the first time. I don't know how these cuts heal. But I knew I found a rhyme. And I'm a long way from your hill of Calvary. I'm, I'm a long way from where I was, where I need to be. If there is a light you can't always see, and there is a world we can't always be, if there is a kiss I stole from your mouth, and there is a light, don't let it go out. So it's you too, song for someone, maybe someone like you. Every one of us needs someone safe, a bearer of the Christ to enter the, our world and disturb the shame with grace. To not be afraid of anything they've seen. That's a beautiful line. Shame gets disrupted when we enter and are not disturbed by what we see. Here's some quotes. Uh, shame is the raincoat over the soul repelling the living water of Jesus that would otherwise establish us as the beloved of God. Andrew Comiskey. In Terence Real, he says that an addict needs shame like a man dying of thirst needs salt water. And uh, Larry Crabb, I think that this is God's plan. To meet me where I am and in all my ugliness, not where I pretend to be or wish I were, to meet me in my weakness and shame and fear and to give me hope that God loves me, that he can change me and that he can use me. That's Larry Crabb from Real Church. And the final quote is, Shame causes us to see our identity as flawed, rather than seeing ourselves as having flaws. That's a big distinction. I'll read it again. Shame causes us to see our identity as flawed, rather than seeing ourselves as having flaws. That was from Dan Allender and Larry Crabb in their book, Hope When You're Hurting. So final questions. What was your earliest shaming event and how did it affect you? What would it have been like to have been deeply known in that moment? Number three, how do you respond to shame now? Do you run, hide, hit back or invite um, an entering in of Christ and others into that place of shame? Hey, thanks for watching. I hope you found this helpful. Um, the best thing you can do is with this content is to share it with somebody else. It really is. And um, thank you for watching. Uh, if you'd like to support what we're doing here at Turning the Page, please come over to uh, turningthepage.co.nz forward slash support. Um, I have a Patreon account. That's the way most people support for like a dollar a month, US dollar a month. Pretty simple, pretty easy. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear uh, your response to this this um, this video, this podcast. And uh, you can email me at barry at turningthepage.co.nz. Thanks for so much for watching. And um, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Okay, bye.